This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. All right. Well, before we get started, as usual, we have just a few pieces of housekeeping. First, this show is only possible because of my patrons. They keep me caffeinated. They keep me fed. They help me pay my bills. And they ensure that this show and all the other projects that I'm involved with have a long life. And if you want to join their number, please go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. And for $5 a month or $1 a month or $10 a month, you will get a ton of extra content. My weekly meditations on the tarot uh, and a patrons only podcast called The House of Heretics. You will also be able to contribute to the show. You will ask questions that get answered in AMA episodes. You will help direct the show, what topics to cover, etc., etc. And my patrons are really the backbone of my show. So if you find yourself waking up every Monday morning or every Tuesday morning looking forward to my podcast or waking up every Thursday morning looking forward to my blog, then please consider becoming a patron. It's really the single best way to support my work. Now, if you're strapped for cash, if you're strapped for money, I understand the struggle is real. There are other ways to support the show. First and foremost, to continue listening to it and enjoy it. Uh, It is ultimately here for your enjoyment. And also to just share it with your friends. Share it on social media. Send it to friends. Send it to people who you think would enjoy it. All right. Second, we are still growing the Rock Candy Podcast Network. We already have several amazing shows. We have Bible Bash, Bubble and Squeak, Eleven D Life, Sacred Tension, of course, and we have more on the way. And we are also looking for more creators to join the network. So if you have a podcast or you are thinking of starting one, please reach out to me. I want to hear your pitch. I want to hear your idea. Uh, Go to stephenbradfordlong.com, contact me via the contact page, and maybe we can produce your show. Well, with all of that out of the way, I'm incredibly excited to welcome my guest for this show, John W. Moorhead. John W. Moorhead is the director of Multi-Faith Matters. He is the co-editor and contributing author for Encountering New Religious Movement, a holistic evangelical approach, and the editor of Beyond the Burning Times, a pagan and Christian in dialogue. He is currently co-editing an anthology volume on emotions in multi-faith engagement through Pickwick due out later in 2019. John has also provided expertise to the Luzanne Committee for World Evangelism issue group on the church and the new spiritualities. He has been involved for many years in multi-faith relationships and conversations in the context of Islam, Mormonism, paganism, and atheism. His ongoing research in multi-faith engagement and religious conflict involves bringing social psychology into conversation with a theology of love of our religious neighbors. Particular areas of interest are us-versus-them tribalism, fear of the other, evangelical concerns for purity, and Christian nationalism. All right, John, thank you so much for joining me. 
Well, thank you for the opportunity. So, uh, yeah, a, a very dear friend, listener, and patron of mine, Dash, longstanding member of the pagan community, is the one who got us in touch. And basically what they said is that you had kind of put out a signal that you wanted to talk to a Satanist, to, that you wanted to have some public conversation with a Satanist, and I'm happy to oblige. So I'm glad you're here. Well, it's good to be here. And I think there's, even before Dash, uh, though, I think the way the this whole thing got started uh, was I... I've been studying new religious movements uh, academically for years, and uh, that includes uh, paganism. Wicca. I've looked a little at Satanism. Some colleagues of mine have, special, have specialized in that more than I have, but it's been an area of interest. And the Temple of Satan uh, has been in the news periodically, and I heard about the documentary Hail Satan. Yeah. And uh, I, I saw the trailer, and I thought, man, I, I just want to check it out. So I rented it on uh, YouTube. Great. And uh, watched it and found it fascinating. And that's when I did a post on Facebook. I said, you know, I think this is fascinating. I would love a conversation. And then Joe Laycock at Texas State University, he said, he said, I, he said, I, I know uh, some Satanists who would be willing to have a conversation. <laughs> and that led Dash to say, hey, what if I hooked you up with Stephen and so Great. on? So all that I, came together, and here we are. I didn't know that Joseph was involved. Uh, Joe is the most interviewed guest on this episode, or on this show. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, he's he's been on here quite a bit. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. I love Joe. <laughs> um, he does a lot of really fun stuff. So, yeah. Well, I don't really have any plans for this episode i kind of just wanted you to ask me what whatever you wanted to ask and so i'll just give you the floor wow yeah um you, you mentioned this before the program uh, i've got a few questions so hopefully uh through the course of me asking the questions uh you know with some kind of back and forth or develop we'll have a conversation that you and i and hopefully the listeners will find a value what i hope is that uh that not only your regular listeners but i'm hoping that uh, i can promote this to my facebook page and other venues and some evangelicals might be willing and other christians to give it a listen and once their heads start uh, stop exploding over how it is that a, an evangelical Christian and a Satanist can have a, a, a calm and <laughs> rational conversation. Yes. Uh, hopefully they you know gain something out of it. So what I want to do is give them some information, model a, a way to have a conversation about similarities and differences, hmm. and hopefully in the end we can help people uh, become better on a, on a polarized uh, country and planet. So uh, it, it's grandiose vision for a podcast. I am so for that. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, <laughs> Well, you know, one of the things, uh, it's interesting to me as an evangelical Christian, I've tried to step back <clears throat> and look at the psyche, the, literally the, the social psychology of evangelicals. How is it they look at and understand and relate to others? And as I look at my tribe, I think there are certain boogeymen that serve as the monstrous other for our religious community. At Halloween, it's pagans and witches and sometimes Satanists. Um, it's Muslims, obviously, post 9-11. Mm. But Satanists are in the mix quite a bit. And so one of the questions I have for you as a way of helping evangelicals understand better, what are some of the common misconceptions and stereotypes about Satanism and Satanists that Christians hold that you'd like to dispel? Oh, well, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, we can start with the most absurd and the most obvious, which is that we aren't involved in any ritual, ritual abuse, 
we still live with kind of the ghost of the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s. And so that's kind of the most obvious and easily dismissible one. I think that... Can, can you touch on the satanic panic just a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the satanic... Yeah, so the satanic panic was um, a moral panic that erupted in the 80s, 90s, and it continues within certain pockets to this day. And basically, it it's the belief it's the conspiracy theory that there are a ton of satanic um uh cults that are abusing children raping molesting torturing children or innocent young women for the sake of satanic rituals and it just erupted in the 80s and it destroyed a lot of people's lives a lot of people were falsely convicted a lot of uh, people lost their livelihoods and it's it's just brought on this enormous amount of damage in our culture. I was raised with satanic panic stories and none of none of it is true. It it's a myth. And modern day satanists uh, have no relation to that myth. Modern satanists have no connection uh, whatsoever to those myths of satanic cults that abuse children. So that's, I think, the most obvious thing that needs to be dispelled. Also, the other thing that comes up is, is Satanism a troll? Is it just here to make people angry? No, it isn't. It's, it's a very sincere religious identity. The fact that it just happens to coincidentally troll people or appears to troll people is almost incidental. Uh, it, it isn't here to troll <laughs> that isn't that isn't our purpose it's rather for us it's for the satanists uh you know most most satanic places have no christians present most satanic communities have no christians present and the tiny fraction of what the world sees of like the the satanic temple event uh you know the the monuments and whatnot protests and whatnot that's just a tiny fraction of the the satanic religious life and the vast majority of it no christians are present it isn't about christians it's about us uh the other thing is we don't worship a literal satan uh, we are non-theists, but we understand that there is immense power in religious symbolism and that just because something is not literally real, just because something is not objectively real, does not mean it doesn't exercise enormous power. You know, to quote Dumbledore at the end of Harry Potter, of course it's all in your head, Harry. Why on earth does that mean it isn't real? Right, um, right. You know, it, and so sim, we are human beings. Uh, we live within a scaffold of symbolism and Satanism is an acknowledgement of that fact. Uh, so, no, we don't we, we don't live with a belief in an actual literal Satan, uh, but we revere the, the symbol of Satan. We don't worship evil. <laughs> you know, it, we don't see Eve. We don't see Satan as the ultimate evil. We instead see him as uh, the unbowed will, as the champion of enlightenment, the champion of the outsider, the the, the champion for justice, uh, who fights against arbitrary authority. And yeah, I would say. Oh, and then one more. It isn't about being anti-Christian. I don't think Satanism in general, and you know, on this point, it really depends which Satanist you ask. But I think in general, you know, in in the movie Hail Satan, there's a great line from uh, from Jesper Peterson 
uh, from a religious scholar who says Satanism is not anti-Christian, it is post-Christian, and it has taken Satan with it. <laughs> uh, we, it isn't about being anti-Christian. We really instead see Satanism as a positive force, as a, as a positive thing that uh, it isn't about what we hate. It isn't about something that we're against. Rather, it is pro-diversity. It is pro-plurality. So it is not anti any single religion, but rather it is anti-authoritarian. And there is plenty of that within Christianity, and there is plenty of that outside of Christianity. But there is also a great deal within Christianity to celebrate and to embrace. So that, I think, is a—that's the, the rundown. That's the very first few things that I can think of. I also, before we move any further, I also have to clarify, I'm not a spokesperson for the Satanic Temple. So I can't really speak to— the any official stance of the satanic temple i am just an individual satanist who happens to be a member of the satanic temple <laughs> so i'm not a spokesperson <laughs> sure yeah and uh i'm not a spokesperson for evangelicalism although i do think i understand the tribe sure and uh, can can respond to some general uh give, give a, a generally reliable response for what i think is going on even though at many significant points i disagree with my tribe sure as uh, may become evident during the course of our conversation all of what you said is very helpful and my hope is that any evangelicals or other christians you might be listening can take that to heart i, I have no problem with disagreeing with somebody but before we can say we disagree you have to say we understand and many times as you know yes. uh, christians uh, have this stereotype of what they think satanism is all about and it, it it's a caricature of what, Absolutely. obviously, in light of what you just said. So, But the satanic uh, panic thing, I just hope that Christians can realize how damaging that has been over the years, how many lives have been destroyed. It, it has destroyed so many lives, yeah. Years ago, I uh, encountered this back when they were still in, uh, in prison, uh, the West Memphis Three. Mm. And oh, that's yes. an example of satanic panic. You had uh, three young men yes. uh, who were implicated uh, wrongly in uh, the murder of some uh, young boys. And it was back in the South, in Arkansas. And it was a fundamentalist uh, Christian population. Mm -hmm. And so-called occult experts came in and gave testimony and said it was satanically based. And, and basically, yeah. uh, they were... Uh, uh, about to be executed, but uh, thankfully that worked itself out. They served long, unjust prison sentences and, and were released. But that's just one example of the tremendous damage Absolutely. in lives that satanic panic can have. And, and also, you know, just as an aside, um, the Satanic Temple does have a campaign within the temple called Gray Faction, which kind of works to dispel satanic panic myths. So especially within the mental health field. And so it, it uh, deals with a lot of pseudoscience in the mental health field, because uh, currently a lot of what is encouraging the satanic panic today are mental health professionals who still believe in, uh, you know, this shadowy clandestine network of satanic ritual abusers. And then they use these really dubious methods like hypnotic, uh, oh, what's it called regressive hypnotic therapy to kind of implant these memories of horrific childhood abuse. And these are licensed professionals. So if you're interested in all of that, I've actually done an episode with the director of Gray Faction uh, and go to grayfaction.com because they are doing really good work. It's still an ongoing problem. So anyway. 
Very good. Well, what, one thing I don't think you mentioned when you responded to that question, you mentioned that uh, Satanists don't worship Satan. Um, but I don't think you mentioned that, that many, if not most, Satanists are atheists. Oh, yes. That may take many Christians by surprise. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of people are kind of disappointed, actually, when they discover that I'm a non-theist. I personally prefer the term non-theist over atheist because, to me, non-theist means the exact same thing, except I'm not an asshole about it. Um <laughs> So, you know, I like to use the term non-theist because it kind of destabilizes the the stereotype of the angry atheist. Yes, that's correct. So not only do we not believe in God, we are also generally non, uh, non-supernaturalist. And that's actually a really important distinction. LaVey was an atheist, but he was still a supernaturalist. He believed in magic, believed in ritual magic, whereas myself and I would say most other TST members, uh, the Satanic Temple members, are also basically materialists. We don't we don't really believe in any supernatural, but we believe in enchantment. We believe in the importance of enchantment and ritual and uh so that yeah, it's it's a totally different paradigm. <laughs> I think a lot of people really struggle to grasp that. Yeah, I appreciate that distinction between atheism and non-theism and, and the way you described it. And since I'm on an unusual podcast venue, uh, evangelicals are likely to write me off anyway. So using uh, a profanity here won't uh, oh. you know be to my detriment. One yes. of my colleagues has described my work in religious diplomacy or multi-faith engagement. He's looked at it and said, you know what you do is you help Christians be Christians without being assholes. And <laughs> I said, you know, that's, that's very succinct. I think it's accurate. However, it's not a very good marketing tagline for the tribe. I think it's but, a great uh, marketing tagline. Well, for my people, it's a great marketing tagline. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's now, wonderful. There, there are lots. There, there are lots of different Satanist groups out there. I, I think the one, the one of the ones that would be different that I'm aware of is the Temple of Set, which would be a theistic Satanist yes. group, but that's that's the exception. Yes. Um, can, can you speak to the different Satanist groups out there, and why did you choose the the Satanic Temple? Okay, so the first the first part of that question, uh, what are the different views of Satanism? So Satanism has has religious Satanism. We don't really know how long it's been around. It officially appeared in. At the beginning, you know, in in early 1900s, uh, as kind of a codified religion, Uh, Anton LaVey likes to say that he was the first one who invented Satanism, but that is not, in fact, true. Uh, It appeared in several places, and it really has its roots in the romantic literary Satanic tradition. Blake, Byron, Percy, Shelley, Anatole France, Baudelaire, several other writers and poets, uh, started to envision the Satan of Milton as a heroic figure, and uh, they aligned this Satan with revolution, with enlightenment, with kind of the Byronic hero in some ways, and they started to cast him in, in some ways as almost like a Christ-like figure, uh, you know, they, but of all the different positive spins that they took on it, it was always positive. It was, it was always this recasting of the, of the myth, and that literary tradition is really the foundation for the modern satanic movement, and so it, it's a literary tradition. It started as a as an artistic, literary tradition, and that's how the religion developed. But out of that, there are several different views. There is the Church of Satan, which really bypassed most of 
that romantic literary tradition. It is informed by it, but largely bypassed it as its primary influence. And his LeVay's influence was Ayn Rand, was Nietzsche, and so on. And as a result, LeVayan Satanism has largely been a religion of the far right. It has it embraces class hierarchy, uh, ruthless class hierarchy, ruthless selfishness. While LeVay himself never really embraced the full implications of those ideas, some uh, some of his followers have. And so there are some very dark, very ugly far-right manifestations of Satanism, some very f- ugly far-right uh, fascist manifestations of Satanism. But then there is the Satanic Temple, which is far more left with an emphasis on compassion, with an emphasis on community. And we really track our influence back to the Romantics and back to that heroic Satanic figure. There are also theistic Satanists. Temple of Set is a very good example. Uh, Temple of Set was founded by Aquino. I can't remember his first name. Michael Aquino, I think. Michael yeah, Aquino, Michael, yeah. yeah, Michael Aquino. But what's what's interesting about Temple of Set is, and at, you know, I was actually just talking to Jack Maturka for Infernal Use Only. Uh, he was on the show recently, and we were talking about this. Like, it, it's like Satanism, but with a plot twist. It's, um, you know, he he believed that Levey and say that Levey was in fact a theist. He thought that Levey did actually believe in Satan, a literal Satan. And when Levey came out and said, "Oh no, we're all non-theists," well, then uh, Aquino left. He didn't like that. He thought that was a betrayal and he had this revelation that satan was actually the egyptian god set and so it's like we're satanists but we're actually egyptian (laughs) neo-pagans so it's a kind of a weird plot twist we are kind of going through a satanic renaissance right now so there are a ton of satanic new religious movements popping up all over the world. It, Satan is having a moment right now. And a lot of that is spearheaded by the satanic temple. The satanic temple has kind of brought it out of obscurity and back into the spotlight. So there are a ton of different groups popping up all over the place. But that's that's a kind of a basic overview. That's helpful. And why did you, uh, with the options for what you might affiliate with, why the satanic temple for you? For me, it really all came down to to the tenets. So I remember, even when I was a Christian, understanding Satanism. I know that a lot of people have like this very deep, visceral aversion <laughs> to, to Satanism. But when I understood that it was non-theistic, that it is based in a literary tradition of seeing the Miltonian Satan as a hero, it's, it's like I instantly got it and I instantly resonated with it. I think maybe because of personality. I think I just have a personality type that is prone to that sort of of thing but i i was very put off by the radical selfishness of levey i was very very put off by his pettiness and so i kind of put satanism aside but i was always fascinated by the concept of satan as a heroic figure that to me made sense it's you know it's like i understood that the satan that christians believe in and the satan that modern satanists revere and venerate are two different characters and that was pretty obvious to me that they use the same name they they are rooted in the same traditions but they're ultimately two different figures i mean and they don't have anything in common with each other and so i und- i got that instantly but what led me to tst was the tenets and the the uh, satanic temple has seven tenets which really which they are our core 
kind of religious text. Uh, and I'll go ahead and read them right here. So sure. this, is, this sums up what the Satanic Temple believes. One should strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. The struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. One's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. The freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach on the freedoms of another is to forego your own. Beliefs should conform to our best scientific understanding of the world. We should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit our beliefs. People are fallible. If we make a mistake, we should do our best to rectify it and resolve any harm that may have been caused. Every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. That puts the Satanic Temple very much at odds with the Church of Satan and... I don't know. It was a conversion moment. You know, I'm I've, I'm actually working on an article right now called The Satanic Conversion. And people constantly ask me, why Satan? Isn't it better? Isn't it more expedient? Isn't it offensive? Isn't it, you know, isn't it more, more expedient to choose another non-theistic religion? You know, it's like of the entire buffet of religious symbols <laughs> and mythologies that you could choose, why did you choose the most inflammatory symbol that inspires disgust? And is that not a roadblock? And the answer to all of that is, of course, yes. Yes, it is. And, you know, people make this assumption that because I'm a non-theist, it's like I just rationally and calmly sat down and deliberated over which non-theistic religion would be best for me. <laughs> and that's not the case at all. You know, if I wanted, if I did do that, then I would obviously, you know, be like a, a a boring Unitarian Universalist <laughs> or a Buddhist, right? You know, if I if I wanted to be a non-theist and have a religion that was just the most accessible <laughs> and and enabled me to be the most accessible person, then obviously I would, you know, be a boring milk toast Episcopalian or or something, you know? Um, <laughs> of course, and of course Satanism stands in the way. And so people assume that I sat down and rationally chose Satanism, but I don't really think that's the case at all. I think it was a conversion. I think I it was a conversion to a symbol, and it was sub rational it it op it happened on a deeper level than the rational if i was going about this rationally then i wouldn't be a satanist right you know if i was if i was going about this rationally i would i would look at this objectively and say you know this is not the best life choice for me people are frightened of me in a way that they haven't been before people um, are uncomfortable with this and this is standing in the way of my goals which is to create a better humanity but the reality is that Satan got his claws in me, and the symbol of Satan, I had what I can only call a mystical experience, but with the, the non-objective symbol of Satan. And it happened on a level that exists deeper than the rational, and that's the power of story, right? That it gets us. The, the power of story is that it hits us at a deeper level. It bypasses all that stuff. And so that's what Satanism did, is it bypassed. Uh, it bypassed all of that stuff. And so it, it really is a conversion. And it's, it's, a, it's an inconvenient conversion. 
<laughs> and I can do post hoc rationalizations and say things like, well, you know, ev- everyone's religion is offensive to everyone, you know, to someone, you know, all religion is weird, all religion is offensive in some way. And all and that's true. But I think that that's ultimately sidestepping the issue, which is that this is a fundamentally irrational thing. And what got me was the story. And it was just the exposure to the satanic temple, the exposure to the tenets, the exposure to satanic literature, to satanic music. And uh, it clicked really, really hard. And I was really dubious about it at first. You know, it's like in I I uh, joined the Satanic Temple in 2017. I had gone through a decon uh, uh, through a kind of a Christian deconversion deconstruction for years. It had been this long, excruciating process of deconverting from Christianity slowly over the process of years. It was very painful. And uh, I've been a Christian writer for many years, and and an LGBT Christian writer for many years. And that was my audience. That was my niche. Uh, uh, but then I uh, had this very inconvenient conversion to Satanism, and I intended to kind of keep it a secret. I was af- I was afraid, you know, and that that just demonstrates that it isn't a it isn't a ploy, you know, it isn't a troll. It it was inconvenient to me. It it was something that put me at risk. I was afraid of losing my job. I was afraid of losing all my fans, and I have lost a lot of my fans, and and so you know that just puts it that I don't know that just exposes this notion that that it was a ploy or a troll or a politically expedient maneuver that that satanists are just atheists pretending to be satanists for be you know for to defend the church state divide you know so that I I don't know if that's a very succinct answer to that question but there you have it well it doesn't have to be succinct I appreciate the the vulnerability and the honesty in sharing that and I hope again the Christians that might be listening can uh, can pick up on that and so that's interesting to to know what it was that went into your experience and uh, moving towards the satanic temple <clears throat> there was one last question that I wrote down that I wanted mm. to ask you and it's part of what you said in the preceding kind of dovetails into this Mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned uh, satan is a figure of disgust and that's particularly the case for christians Uh, one of the things that intrigues me about the satanic temple is how they've drawn upon various forms of performance art to draw attention to various political causes and issues and so on and while that gets attention and so on at the same time for christians it provokes in them that disgust and that fear and many times Christians have the majority in areas of the country where I think you want to facilitate change in terms of religious freedoms and uh, for minority groups and this kind of a thing. So let's, if you could share, with, there's a lot of, in other words, there's a lot of emotional fallout that comes from that performance art. Yes. And people then shut down and they aren't able to hear. They become defensive. But since you and I aren't engaging in performance art right now, we're having a conversation. <laughs> Help help Christians understand what are some of the key issues for the Satanic Temple that they would like Christians and others to consider in a pluralistic society. Okay, so I'm so I'll I'll do my best to answer that question. I will say that I'm 
probably not the best person to answer that. Um, okay, and I know just, you're not answering for yeah, group, just but... just because I'm you know I'm not a spokesperson for the temple, but sure. also I'm I'm also not really involved in their demonstrations. Okay, you know I'm much more involved in kind of the contemplative, mystical, daily ritualistic parts of you know for lack of a better term, more ministerial. <laughs> so there's sure. there's kind of the activist part of it, but then there's kind of a more internal part of it of just the the philosophy and life of a Satanist. And that's much more the part that I'm involved in and uh, that I'm helping to cultivate. But I will... Well, well, let me just say, as a Christian, I believe that Christians should support religious freedom for everybody and for everybody. religious... Whether they agree with it or not, in fact, that's the real test, is arguing and advocating for the freedom of others when you viscerally disagree with it. Um, so I, I think I'm a minority in that realm, but I, I'm hoping to persuade other Christians and Absolutely. evangelicals to join me in that. So Yeah, and, and you know, that's the satanic perspective as well. I mean, that's—or that's at least, from what I understand, the perspective of a lot of people in TST. You know, we want people to be able to worship, and we want people to be able to exercise their freedom of religion however they see fit. We are pro-religious diversity. We are just anti-theocracy, right? We are your we are your ally. I am your ally. I am your defender. If your goal is to uh, practice your religious freedom, I am your enemy. If your goal is to be the tyrant, you know, you have the performance art to draw attention to certain issues. But yes. I think that the issues get lost, at least for conservative Christians, because you kick out the defensiveness and fear. So minus those things mm. so that others can hear what some of those concerns might be. What, what got are it. They? Got it. Those concerns are plurality and religious freedom and one religious voice not dominating a country that is supposed that was founded as a religiously plural nation that was founded as you know largely uh, based on the free exercise of religion and you know the the cliche is that many Evangelical Christians and many Catholics and so on, many conservative Christians see that as religious freedom for them, but not for anyone else. And so what TST is doing, and again, I'm probably not the best person to comment on this. Really, the person you need to talk to is just Lucian Greaves. He, he's kind of the, the genius behind all of this. But really, what these displays are doing is, so for example, the monument displays, is that if you cannot have, if, if you can't have a Christian monument and a satanic monument together, then you are standing on unconstitutional ground, then you are, uh, if you are unwilling to have the, this stark religious contrast between Baphomet and the Ten Commandments side by side on government property, if, if that symbol reviles you to the point that you are just unable to handle it, then you don't get the point of religious freedom. We're all going to be offended. We're all going, and that's what it means to live in a plural society. We're all going to be disgusted by each other in some way, but it is on us to work through that disgust and learn to live together in some way. And so, you know, there's, we do have a, we do have Christian privilege. There's an enormous amount of Christian privilege. There's the assumption that only Christians can be disgusted, but no one else. There's the assumption that, uh, you, you know, other beliefs, other faith, or non-believers aren't disgusted by a lot of Christian imagery, but we are, and but we have to live with it day in, day out. This is the challenge of living in a, in a 
met, you know, in a cosmopolitan society is how do we live with our differences? And these differences are protected and enshrined in the founding documents of our country. And if we cannot have these seemingly opposing images on government property of Baphomet and the Ten Commandments, then we are missing the point. Well, what the Satanic Temple is doing is really trying to push uh, people to accept plurality or to shut down religious monuments altogether. Both are a win uh, because both both end up not favoring one religion or the other. But that's just, you know, that, you know, I'm kind of using the monuments on public property as a or on government property as kind of a, a, a catch all for all of what we do. <laughs> you sure. know, that that's an example of just one aspect of what we do. It's really it's also really telling that TST chose the Baphomet because the Baphomet is kind of a Western yin and yang. You know, it was uh, first illustrated by Eliphas Levy, who is a uh, who, who was a an, an occultist, and it has the mudra up and down, as above, so below. It has male and female elements, has angelic and demonic elements, and it has the caduceus rising up from his belly. Uh, and, and so it's really a symbol of the reconciliation of opposites. That's what it's about. Baphomet is about rejecting false binaries and the reconciliation of opposites. And, and that is the symbolism that the Satanic Temple very carefully put into that monument to be on a government property. It's a symbol symbol of reconciliation. It's a symbol of the coming together of uh, profound opposites. I, I appreciate all of that, and I hope, again, I hope Christians who may be listening can can hear that and understand the concerns that may get washed out otherwise. Sure. All that relates to, you know, we've been having this debate for years. Do we have the pluralistic public square or the naked public square? Mm. Uh, yep. In my opinion, I argue for the pluralistic. I don't think anybody wins with the naked public square. I think we've got to figure out a way to live with the tension. We've got to live with the tension of our discomfort uh, side by side with symbols and, and narratives that that, uh, we don't agree with and yeah. uh, may even find disgusting and that that's just part of the, the challenge of living in a pluralistic country so absolutely uh, I appreciate that so I think that that evangelicals struggle in a really profound way with this why do you think that is as someone who kind of lives and breathes in you know the in the evangelical world why do you think there is such a struggle with plurality uh i I can answer by way of the research i've been doing for the last five years i've Mm. received two grants to head up a team called multi-faith matters Mm. uh first was a three-year grant and then we did a supplemental two-year grant with the two-year grant we looked at uh, research in social psychology to try and understand you know evangelicals are all about theology if you want to know what's going on just just open the bible and come up with a theological answer to it and while i appreciate theology as an evangelical there is a psychology underneath the theology. And that's what we wanted to get to. Why is it that most evangelicals are defensive and fearful when it comes to other religious groups and members and certain groups in particular? And so we did some research, uh, reading the the academic literature. We did some survey work uh, online and to try and come up with some answers. And basically some of the things we discovered, uh, one, fear is in place. There's a natural, human beings are tribalistic. We tend toward our tribe. We look favorably at those who see things like we do, and we are fearful of the other tribe and we uh, tend to compete with the other tribe. And that, that competition can 
uh, range from the benign to the outright violent. And so we're fighting our, our evolutionary history in part. Um, there's the narrative of Christian nationalism, this idea that uh, supposedly America was founded as a Judeo-Christian nation. I don't happen to think historically that case can be made, but that's a very popular idea amongst evangelicals. In fact, some good work in uh, social psychology has been done that indicates that's one of the major factors in evangelical support for Trump, is that he's going to help preserve this sense right. of a Judeo-Christian nation. And then there's also, I think the final piece of the puzzle for evangelicals is this emphasis on purity and a fear of contamination. That if I get too close to the other, that I disagree with their doctrine and their practice and their worldview, that somehow, literally, I'm going to get spiritual cooties. I'm going to get contaminated. And yes. so we, we don't want to lose cultural dominance, this idea of a Judeo-Christian nation. We want to keep ourselves pure and the country pure. And therefore, the way that to do that, religious freedom is construed in terms of religious freedom is really me trying to maintain my freedom and doing as little as possible, if not uh, limiting the religious freedoms of minority groups that I happen to strongly disagree with. Mm. And so I think all of that is in the mix. It's complex psychologically and theologically and otherwise. But I, I think those are some of the dynamics going on. And what I and some others are trying to do is work through those psychological dynamics rather than simply bypass them and saying, look, you got to get over it. How can we help people work through their fears, through their purity concerns, to hear other people's stories? You mentioned the power of story. And then create a space so that we're still going to disagree at the end of the day. I'm not saying that uh, as a yes. Christian here that I agree with Satanists or anything else. I, I have my disagreements. But uh, we can still have civil conversations. We can still work together to make this uh, a better society. Uh, we can... Uh, share uh, the public spaces uh, without one of us dominating and trying to exclude the other. And that's the kind of thing that I and others have been trying to work towards, but we've got to work through those psychological dynamics that are going on amongst evangelicals and other conservative Christians. Hmm. That's fascinating. And, you know, there's, um, I, I forget who said this, uh, it, it's some podcaster, and if I remember, I'll put the link in the show notes, because I think it's a great observation. He says, if we can agree on the what, we don't have to agree on the how, you know? And and so I think that agreeing on the what is agreeing on the, uh, on we want to better human welfare. We want to raise the condition, the, 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 we want to raise the quality of human life. We want to create a more open and equal society. We want to defend the rights of the downtrodden. We want to, you know, narrow the wage gap, you know, things like that. And, and I feel like if people who have radically divergent beliefs can agree on the what, then that allows us an entry point to work with each other. And we can disagree on the how. How do we do that? You know, and you and I probably have some pretty profound disagreements on the how. And you and I probably have some pretty profound disagreements on, you know, the <laughs> what the universe looks like. Uh, sure. But as long as we disagree, but as long as we agree on the what, I think that that is a really powerful catalyst and, you know, there's something there's just going to something that you said in there that was really, really interesting to me of uh, the fear of like a spiritual contagion. You know, I think one of the most controversial, most controversial things that uh, we Satanists do is the black mass. And, you know, we can talk about the black mass later, but uh, people people really flip the fuck out over black masses. And I understand why it is maybe the most, you know, I have a lot of friends, a lot of Christian friends, and they're like, Stephen, I love you. I support you. I think what you do in Satanism is wonderful. Uh, but the black mass is is taking it a bit too far for me. 
And I'm like, I get that. That's okay. <laughs> but what's so interesting to me about the Christian response to black masses, there was one recently up in Canada that called a, caused a gigantic brouhaha. What's so interesting to me about that is how a lot of Christians see uh, satanic rituals, especially the black masses, like opening a portal of spiritual darkness into their community and how they how they really see it as endangering their community on a very real and fundamental level and i think that all sides need to work harder to understand that you know i think that this just kind of demonstrates the gigantic chasm in worldview where if you're a non-theist the moment you enter non-theism these become symbols and not objective realities right and mm-hmm. and but for theists i think that that is um for for theists and and for supernaturalists i don't use that term derog- you know demeaningly uh but for sure. theists and supernaturalists when these when these symbols kind of have an objective reality out there in the ether then i can understand how something like a black mass feels like a like an existential threat to the community (laughs) and and i think that there has to be understanding on both sides you know i look at a lot of a lot of my fellow atheists a lot of my fellow non-theists and skeptics and and i just want to tell them you know you you need to have a bit more compassion for how real this is to believers you have a bit more sympathy have a bit more compassion for how very 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 real this is for believers and then i want to tell believers you know we we aren't doing this as an assault on you we're doing this for us we don't see this as actually true and i don't know i i think that a lot of work can happen on both sides (laughs) to um to enable better conversation yeah, I agree. I mean, symbolism uh, as well as belief in reality is so important. I mean, I, I always try to respect what other people believe and practice. Obviously, even if I disagree with it and I may critique it, I try and do Absolutely. so with some empathy. So you'll find, you know, Christians aren't exactly uh, compassionate in this area. There are some so-called street preachers that go to Dearborn, yes. Michigan and uh, shout at uh, Muslim festivals. And they put, recently put uh, pigs heads which are considered unclean oh god on on posts and yeah, uh, as they hold up their okay. anti-quran and anti yeah i mean that 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 is purposefully provoking a religion and a culture by going at their most sacred. And and then you're not trying to, pers- I, in my opinion, you're not trying to persuade anymore. You're just staking your ground of us versus them exactly. and perpetuating the divide. And that's just not something I'm interested in doing. So hopefully uh, folks listening to this kind of conversation can, can realize we both got some work to do. Absolutely. And um, so uh, another question I have for you, you, I'm sure you are aware of the stigma attached to evangelicalism these days. Oh, yes. Oh, um, yes. I'm sure that you are intensely aware of that. And I'm sure you're aware of what evangelicalism has come to mean for a lot of people. What do you see in evangelicalism that in, that inspires you to stay? Because clearly, uh, you know, it seems like you're a very decent person. It seems like it seems like we share a lot of the same goals of plurality and whatnot. Uh, so clearly you see something in evangelicalism that probably a lot of the world doesn't. So what is that thing? Well, I mean, it, it is uh, my my tribe, my spiritual tribe and family. And mm. just as if I have a physical family and uh, if a lot of them happen to be jerks and, uh, and assholes, they are still family. Yeah. 
And uh, I'm going to work as hard as I can to try and rehabilitate the nature and interactions of those family members and their public perception. Uh, and I can do that best by staying within the family and identifying with them rather than as the outsider casting stones. Yeah. Um, I'm very well aware of the negative perceptions that evangelicalism has and uh, rightly deserved, unfortunately. I don't think that uh, most evangelicals are aware of the reasons for that. They see themselves as embattled and attacked from without and unjustly and this kind of thing. Um, I think they're going to have to spend a long time post-Trump in uh, the wilderness yeah. of politics and uh, in public perception. But again, a part of why I did this grant research is to understand what in the world is going on psychologically that it results in these theologies of opposition to religious others and political others. And how can we tap into the best of our religious tradition to counter some of what's going on and in the long run then rehabilitate, hopefully, that image over time. I, I am encouraged by younger evangelicals hmm. um, who are are not uh, wired the way uh, the older evangelicals are. Um, they are uh, more geared towards social justice. They're concerned about um, about the other and certain groups that uh, conservative evangelicalism has marginalized and opposed. Um, I really think that will be the future of evangelicalism, so it may just be a generational shift over time. Um, but whatever I can do to help facilitate that process in a positive way, that's that's what I want to do. I don't know if that's helpful or not. That is, that's interesting. So you are personally hopeful about the future of evangelicalism. Uh, I am cautiously optimistic. Okay. Let me put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And, you know, I kind of relate to what you're saying. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of really bad stigma here, but these are my people. <laughs> that's how exactly. I... Yeah. So yeah. Um, what what do you... Um, how do you respond to the ex-evangelical movement, to people who are leaving the evangelical world in droves and... Um, and are really decrying the evangelical world. You know, I feel like I've spent a good portion of my career, you know, dissing ev the evangelical movement. <laughs> and I was once an evangelical, you know. And yeah. Um, so what is your perception of those who, uh, what, what is your perception of the ex-evangelical movement? Well, I'm, I'm sympathetic to it. I appreciate it. It comes in a lot of ex-evangelicals ex are just one uh, form of it. There's the rise of the nuns. Yes. Uh, which includes some atheists, but it also includes people who are spiritual but not religious and just aren't interested in institutionalized religion anymore. Yeah. Um, there are there's a group called the Duns, which are former evangelicals who, in their view, the church is hindering their spirituality rather than carrying it forward. Hmm. And so while they don't reject their faith, they reject the institution of evangelicalism and are trying to forge new structures. Hmm. So there are a variety of reactions to it, and my hope is that uh, folks can be a little more sympathetic. One of the things we tend to see is, well, blame the, the ex-member. You didn't have enough faith, or right. you engaged in some kind of sin, or what have you, rather than looking in the mirror and say, what are our shortcomings that are contributing towards this uh, mass disaffiliation? Hmm. And um, my hope is that there will be some evangelicals that will be willing to be to look in the mirror and be self-critical. Uh, I have studied the literature on religious disaffiliation. Uh, it's a, a painful process that people go through, whether yeah, it's, it's leaving evangelicalism it's or Mormonism or, or what have you. I mean, you take you, you lose your sense of identity. Yes. You lose relationships, uh, family. I mean, it's just an awful process, and that all has to be put back together at tremendous cost. So I, I am not one to blame the ex-evangelicals. I think we need to to understand that process, to be sympathetic to it, 
Um, as an evangelical, I, I still hope that some might come back to the dysfunctional family, but it's not going to happen mm. if we don't address the, the dysfunction that, that's going on. So Yeah, I really, really appreciate that. I, and you know what? I think that that pain of losing religious identity is partly, I mean, and this is just my own anecdotal observation, uh, but I think that that is partly responsible for the rise of the Satanic Temple. You know, I think people, uh, I, I think we are discovering that simply being a symbolist atheist uh, isn't enough for a lot of people, you know, and, and it's okay for some people, you know, it's okay for a lot of non-theists and atheists to just have no religion, um, and that's fine. But I think what we're finding is that there really is a chasm uh, there that people, you know, religion has been part of our history for the entire human race. And I think people are discovering that we still yearn for religion. And I think that uh, Satanism is coming in to fill that void. Well, I think we're coming up at the end of our uh, one hour. Uh, do you have yes. any final questions that you'd like to ask? I don't. I think uh, we had a good uh, conversation starter that uh, absolutely found as helpful as I have. Absolutely. And I've really, really enjoyed this. You're a delight to talk to. Hopefully we can do this again. If ever you want to come back on, just let me know. That sounds great. I will. All right. Well, that is it for this show. The music is by the Jelly Rocks and 11D7. You can find them on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. The artwork is by Ramakrishna Das. And this show is only possible because of my patrons. To join their number, go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long, and you will get extra content every week. I also have to thank my newest patrons, Amy Sillers. Adriana Herman, Greg Stevens, David Limka, and Eric Moore. Thank you so much. You are my own personal lords and saviors. I so appreciate it. This show can't happen without you. The show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long, and is a production of Rock Candy Recordings. We will close with a song from the Rock Candy Music Library. And as always, thanks for listening. I gave you